Welcome to the Life Makeovers podcast. My name is Cindy D. Whitmer, and I am the Midlife Makeover Coach, helping you turn your midlife into your best life one step at a time. Through powerful conversations, my own midlife roller coaster story, and over three decades of helping people transform their lives through counseling and coaching, I am on a mission to help you create your own definition of success and happiness. Thank you for being here. Hey, everybody. Happy Wednesday to you. This week, we are talking about grief. Grief due to the death of a loved one. So 10 years ago, this very week, I got one of the worst phone calls I've ever gotten in my life, but it was at midnight. And there was this woman I didn't know. Bless her dear heart, what a job she had. And she said her name, and I, I can't remember it, of course. And she said, I'm sorry to tell you that your father passed away this evening. She was from a hospital nearby where I grew up. And I, I, you know, the words, the words came out of her mouth and my ears heard them. And I just, I was like, what? Like, no, no, that, oh, I, you know, how you just instantly don't want something to be true or accurate or possible. And I mean, he was 69. He died suddenly on a, unexpectedly of a heart attack. He had had a, a, you know, a healthy checkup with his doctor just a few weeks before. You know how it goes. This is not original to our family. <laughs> you know, but it was one of the most gut-wrenching phone calls I've ever received. And my life changed right then. So I was close to my dad. I was, I really loved my dad. I had a lot of fun with my dad and, uh, you know, I just, I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. But of course I immediately needed to get into task mode because I needed to tell everyone. I needed to get his funeral arrangements made. I needed to clear out his estate. I needed to do all of those things. I was in charge of all of that. And, you know, it, it was one of the hardest things I've ever been through, honestly. So if you're grieving right now, you're grieving somebody that you really loved, I'm sorry about that. I'm really sorry about that. And everybody's experience is, is unique and different for sure. So even though I want to say, I'm tempted to say, oh, I understand, I understand. Well, maybe I do at some level and maybe you understand me at some level, but maybe not, right? Maybe it's really different for you than it is for me. It doesn't matter. Grief is not a competition. Let's just put that out there. But I do, I thought it might be useful to share some practical information about grief that might be a comfort to you or educate you if you're supporting someone who's grieving and you, you're not sure what to do or what to expect or that kind of thing. So that's sort of my goal. Because let's face it, by the time we're in midlife, we've probably had experienced loss many times over. 
And if you haven't had the death of someone you love just yet, it'll be coming. You cannot avoid this in the in your earthly life for sure. So bless you one and all. <laughs> so anyway, um, there's some symptoms of grief that I think are really important to discuss. And I, I learned these back when I was a grief counselor for Cedar Valley Hospice back in uh, the 90s in Iowa. All I did was grief counseling for nine solid years. And it was just one of the most uh, precious experiences of supporting people through their grief. I mean, it really was. And we didn't just do hospice-related deaths. In other words, we, we had those, of course. We had an AIDS uh, department. We had you know, other terminal illnesses, cancer, you, know, you name it. But we also had a community grief program, which meant that we went out and did grief support for sudden deaths, any kind of death, suicides, car accidents, um, sudden unexpected deaths like my dad's, you know, heart attacks, things like that, children dying, teachers dying, going to the schools, you know, things like that. So um, I learned a lot. I learned a lot. And then since that time, I've buried a lot of loved ones as well and been through it personally. So anyway, um, here's some symptoms I learned about grief that I didn't know before I worked this job years ago. So I think what most people think grief is, is it's a really good cry when you hear the news that somebody has died or a really good cry at the funeral, if there is a funeral, and that that means you've grieved. There is a real myth around this, especially in American society, that grief is a short-term process that it goes on for about three days to a week, and then everybody should be, you know, able to move on, right? And that is completely false. That's completely false, okay? If you're expecting yourself to feel better in a week when you've had somebody die, or if anybody expects you to, please let go of that expectation. That's just not possible it's just not possible and the the more significant the relationship was to, to you with a person whether it was positive and healthy or whether it was toxic and difficult the more challenging the grief can be okay so in other words the more emotions involved for you more investment in the relationship again whether it was what we label healthy or unhealthy the more traumatic the grief process can be. But here are some symptoms of grief, some real symptoms, not just the good cry, which of course, of course, tears, sadness, um, you know, all of that is a symptom of grief, of course, but here are some other ones. So first of all, there can be a roller coaster wide range of emotions, not just sadness when somebody dies. Okay, you might experience anger, like you really might be angry, angry at the doctors for not healing them, angry at them for dying, anger at God for letting them die, anger at the drunk driver who killed them, anger that they are no longer here to help you clean up their own mess, anger that they're not here to help you pay the bills anymore, uh, angry that you won't see them grow up, angry that you have to live alone now, angry that 
you didn't go first angry that I mean there could just be a laundry list of reasons to be angry you can also experience some relief when someone you love dies for all kinds of reasons maybe they've been suffering physically for a long time or not had their mental capacities for quite some time maybe it's been a toxic difficult relationship for you that you just didn't know how to get yourself out of and there is some peace or relief for you but then sometimes when people feel the peace and relief they feel guilty for feeling the peace and relief so then there's another feeling that comes up um there can be a real lack of acceptance or acceptance of the death okay so there's all kinds of feelings you can have i mean that isn't even i'm not even scratching the surface on that disappointment fear you might have a lot of fear or anxiety about how your life's going to go now without this person here in the same way. You know, you may wonder, can I keep, will I be able to keep up the home without them? How am I going to parent our kids without them? Uh, you know, what's my future going to be without this person? Can I handle life without them? You may fear for you know, what will happen to you now? Your own mortality issues might come up. I mean, there's just, it's just the laundry list is so long. I can't even begin to touch on it properly. But I want to teach you other symptoms that you may not realize in case you're experiencing these and you don't really know that they're related to grief, okay? But they could be <clears throat> if you're grieving. So there's mental symptoms, okay? Forgetfulness. The inability to concentrate, the inability to focus, these are grief symptoms for some people. So I would have, I had a woman that I was a grief counselor for who loved to read novels. She just loved to read novels, but after her husband died, she could not get past a, a paragraph. Like she'd read a paragraph over and over and over and over again, still couldn't get it, still couldn't pick it up, couldn't comprehend it. And she was so frustrated. And I said, put the book down. Just put the book down. It's grief. You can't concentrate. You're not able to focus. You're not able to put one word, a string of words together and make sense of them. That's your grief. And she couldn't believe it. She's like, really? That was a real eye opener for her to understand that that could be grief. Okay. Another way it can affect uh, if you're a student or you're learning or whatever is uh it's difficult to do the reading you know with the the homework it's difficult to do math math and reading are the two biggest academic challenges for grieving students now that can be students from you know, elementary school junior high high school college or whatever age you are in school so those are very difficult academic tasks and so if you are grieving and you're struggling in those areas I would really implore your teachers or professors to give you a little more grace, a little more time to complete assignments, uh, a little more wiggle room for you to try to get your work done. And then I would do it in short spurts, short study spurts, not long study sessions. Like I'm gonna sit here for the next three hours until I get through this whole chapter. You might do it in 10 to 15 minute spurts and see if you have more luck. Take a little break, go back another 15 minutes. Take a break, go back 15 minutes. Okay, so it's not so overwhelming. 
physically you may have symptoms of grief. Symptoms of grief, grief can manifest physically as migraines, stress headaches. It can manifest as sleeplessness, inability to get to sleep, interrupted sleep, or wanting to sleep all the time and having trouble getting out of bed. It can manifest as heart palpitations, sweaty palms, other anxiety symptoms, a upset stomach, inability to enjoy food you've enjoyed before, um, or wanting to eat all the time, or not having an appetite at all. Um, yeah, just all kinds of things, right? Um, physically, mentally, emotionally. Okay, socially, some symptoms of grief can be you, your identity may have feel may feel as if it's shifted by the grief. For example, if you are a spouse and your spouse dies and you have all these coupled friends that you hang out with regularly, you may feel like you don't belong anymore. And they might not know what to do with you either. They might be really good at incorporating you and you might really fold into the group as comfortably as you always have. But for some, it becomes very, very difficult when they're widowed uh, to navigate those relationships with other couples for all kinds of reasons. There's a social awkwardness to it for some people. Um, they, they don't, they don't want to feel like the third wheel or the fifth wheel, you know, um, or it, it just devastates them so much to be around happy couples when they no longer have their partner or spouse. Uh, it's just, it can be very socially awkward. Another example of this is when your parents, you're a parent and your only child dies, you know, and people, people may not consider you a parent anymore, but you no doubt do. You're like, no, no, I'm still a parent. However, your child is no longer in the earthly uh, experience, you know, playing basketball on the team anymore or having the band concerts or, you know, just all these horrifying things. And so you're used to so much of your social life being wrapped around the school activities you know, and then your child isn't there and you, you just don't know how you fit anymore. It's just really can be very awkward and, and very traumatic. And other parents don't know what to say to you. They are crushed for you. They are freaked out that this could happen. And they, they often don't know what to say to you or what to do with you either. So there you go. So socially, you may want to isolate yourself. Your tendency might be to go into your cave and be more alone than ever, which then can add to your loneliness and depression due to the grief. Uh, but if you're, you're trying to be social, you're trying to fit in, you're trying to get out there, it can be so miserable for you too that you just wanna hide. So finding your space socially again, Finding your way can be very difficult. And then there's spiritual symptoms of grief. Okay, now, I, now of course, there's all kinds of spiritual leanings out there, religious 
perspectives and philosophies and I'm I'm not swinging one way or the other in this conversation but what I will say is what I've found and what the research says is people who have some kind of theology or a belief system or connection they feel to something bigger than themselves, whether we call it God, the divine, Allah, Yahweh, creator, mother earth, spirit, I don't care what you call it, the universe, I don't, whatever. Uh, <clears throat> when you have that kind of connection to something, you can be, it can really, you can have a crisis of faith, okay? For some people, when they're grieving, their faith is, is the most comforting, perfect thing for them to help them navigate. And their belief systems can really support them in feeling hope and uh, feeling, you know, like they can survive anything, right? On the other hand, for others, it can be a crisis of faith where they question their belief systems. They don't feel like they can trust God or they don't think God was there for them or doesn't hear them, has abandoned them, has abandoned their loved one, whatever. So there can be a lot of friction and so forth and that kind of thing. And so some people said, said to me, I can't even pray. I've prayed my whole life and now I, I just can't even pray. And I'm like, okay, I'm sorry, you can't pray. It's okay. Who you are praying to will be there when you're ready and can wait it out, you know? <laughs> what we call God, right? What I believe about what we call God is that God can handle your grief. So you learn to manage your grief and God will be there in whatever way when you're ready. But it's okay. God can handle whatever you've got. You you know, sling mud in God's direction, God can handle it. If you, you know, hide from God for a while, God can handle it. I mean, it'll be okay. You know, so, but anyway, spiritually, you may question things. You may really question things you have never questioned in your life. You might really have some real questions about life, death, life after death. You know, what is that? Is there that? What happens when someone dies? Why are we here? You know, you can ask all the questions. So these are all some symptoms of grief, okay? These are some different things that most people don't think about, right? They don't think about that, all right? So, <clears throat> you know, then people, let's move on. And people say, you know, what are the steps of grief or how do we grieve or what are, how do we get through grief? And a lot of people have heard of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's five um, steps of grief or whatever. And these are denial, anger, bargaining. Um, no, excuse me, wait, denial. Yeah, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance, which are a pattern of feelings that you could experience through your grief for sure. She was, she was a brilliant uh, person. Um, it, one of the best experts ever about grief, in my opinion. <clears throat> but there's another one I really like, and it's from Therese Rando. And these are her, her four steps of grief. And number one is to believe it really happened. Now, that may sound really odd to you, because, of course, 
you think it would be easy to just not easy, but logically you would believe it really happened. You know, they really died. They're dead. They're gone. But to really fully experience that and understand it is a difficult task for most people. You know, we can even look down at our deceased loved ones if they're in a casket, for example, and see them laying there and see that they are deceased, physically deceased, and not believe it. You know, it's just, it's hard to wrap our brain around this experience. So the step one, believing it really happened is when you get there to that point where you go, okay, yes, they are dead. It's not the same now. And they're, and uh, my life is different now because they're not here the same way. Right? Okay, so then what happens when you believe it? Number two, now these aren't all in a fancy schmancy order, but for the sake of teaching, I'm sharing them in an order. Number two, you must uh, experience the pain. You must experience the pain. Again, you can avoid your pain as long as you can avoid your pain. You can try to run from this. You can try to look the other way. You can try to ignore this year after year. But I'm telling you, grief will catch up to you. And it will ruin your life if you don't deal with it. So you might as well just jump right in to the pain and experience it. So cry the tears, scream out loud if you need to, tell, you know, vent to people who care about you, uh, do whatever you need to do, pray it out, write it out, run it out, cry it out, vent it out, do whatever you have to do, memorialize them, celebrate them, do whatever you have to do to experience the pain of it so you can move through this thing, okay? You got to do the work of it or it will work you. You either work it or it will work you. I have seen grief ruin people's lives where they never truly lived again, even though they were walking around and breathing like the rest of us. And I don't want that for you. I don't want that for you. And neither does your loved one who's, who's deceased. Okay. So experience the pain. Number three, adjust the environment without the person okay this can mean a lot of things it depends on who they were to you what your relationship was with them what is required in this step for example if you were partners spouses and you shared a home and you shared your finances and you took care of this home together uh, and lived in this home together. Adjusting your environment can look like many things. It can look like, oh, now you've got to pay all the bills yourself instead of sharing them. It can look like, how do you keep up this 5,000 square foot house and five acres alone without this person? What do you need to do to adjust that? Do you need to move? Do you need to hire people? Do you need to call on friends? Do you need to not work for six months so you can get, you know, take care of more of these things? Or I, I'm just making stuff up here, okay, to, for illustration purposes. Another way to adjust your environment is, is getting rid of their things. 
Now, don't rush yourself here. It's not going to go anywhere. It's not hurting anything. Those clothes hanging in that closet, they're not hurting anything. The slippers by their recliner aren't hurting anything. At some point, you're going to want to adjust your environment. You're going to need to shift some of the material possessions of this person you lived with who's dead. And so that's part of this step three of grieving is because every time you do that, every time you go, okay, today I'm going to get, I'm going to take the sweaters out of the closet, or today I'm going to throw their medicines down the toilet and flush it, or today I'm going to, you know, cancel that bank account that was theirs alone or whatever it is. Every time you do that, you're saying to your life, they're dead and I must move on. They're dead and I have to keep living. And here we go. And this is a way I'm going to manage it without them. Okay, so that's why it's an important task. Adjusting your environment can mean selling the house, leaving it. Adjusting your environment can mean just so many things. Maybe your best friend died and this is who you leaned on for emotional support. And now you don't have that support system. So adjusting your environment could be learning how to rely on others for that kind of support and compassion you received from that friend who is no longer alive with you the same way. Maybe an employee of yours has died and adjusting the environment of the company is hiring someone new or shifting responsibilities around so their, their responsibilities are taken care of. These are examples. Number four, to emotionally relocate the person and move on with your life. Now, what this means, at least my understanding of it, is to find that place in your heart, in your mind, in your life, where you hold precious memories, with your loved person, where you keep the joy, you keep the lessons you learned from them, you keep, you know, you hang on to them at some level, really, really. Like you, you keep them in your heart, you keep them in your head, you, you know, you hold them dear, you hold them close, maybe even talk to them. I talk to my dad still sometimes. He's been dead for 10 years this week but you keep them how you can, as best you can, in whatever way you can relate to them now, okay? And move on with your life, okay? Life isn't the same anymore when someone dies. It's just not the same. It isn't, and you gotta go with it at some level, at some point, not five minutes after they die, you know, give yourself some time and space for sure and grace, lots of grace. But you don't have to forget they ever existed either. That's not a realistic plan. Let's face it. So one of the things that I've done recently, even, and I said my dad's been dead for 10 years, and of course I've had other loved ones die. I've had friends die, grandparents, cousins. I mean... No children of mine, knock on wood. No grandchildren of mine, knock on wood. 
but many people have had many people die in my life and <clears throat> you know I do I hang on to the sweet memories I do I don't feel a need to completely let them go but I have a whole life that I keep living and that is the best possible scenario I think you know I have hung on to some material possessions of my father's. I kept a lot of stuff in the beginning. I mean, I kept stuff that you would just go, really, Cindy, did you? And I did for a long time, long time. And then several years went by and I got rid of more. And a couple years ago, I got rid of almost everything. But I'm about to get rid of one more thing. And that was, he had this windmill, this little windmill in his yard, you know, one of those literal ones. And I just loved that thing. And so when he died, I yanked that out of his yard and took it to my yard. And it was in my yard, Atchison in my little yellow house for several years. And then I took it to my first home in Lawrence and it was there while I lived there. And then when I moved out here with my beloved, the, we live out in a wide open space and the Kansas winds just took that windmill and blew it to bits more than once. And then we, we had it fixed and then it happened again. And then we moved it to another area on the property and it happened again. I mean, I have paid to fix that dang thing and Ed's tried everything you could to fix it and keep it you know okay and it's a half broken windmill that I've kept in the yard <laughs> why because I just have not been able to let it go and that's just the honest to God truth you know but this is this is the now I'm going to now because we've been doing a huge declutter on our property uh, of late this spring and uh, we're going to take a load that, of things that are broken and so forth that can't be used anymore. So it's going to go. So that's my, one of my grief tasks for this week is to do that. And part of why I'm able to do it is because, of course, it's been 10 years. That, and I have other things of his that I'll probably always keep. Just a few things. Very little now. Very, very little. I have a wishing well he made in the backyard that he made many years ago and we fixed that up. It was falling apart a bit because it was so old. And um, I, so I got that, it's in great condition, looks great out there. Um, but what was I gonna say about this? And then I'll wrap it up. Uh, I lost my train of thought. Hmm. Oh, I know what I was gonna say is that if you're hanging on to things and you kind of wonder why, you know, if it's been a, been a bit and you're wondering why, why do I keep hanging on to this thing or that thing or these things? Ask yourself what you believe about what it would mean if you let it go. And some people would think it's disrespectful to their deceased loved ones to, to get rid of things. And if you believe that, you're gonna have a hard time getting rid of things. My personal belief, if this is helpful to you at all, if it isn't, it's okay. But my personal belief is they don't care. <laughs> like they're on to other things, right? They're like, whatever. Those earthly possessions, whatever. Don't worry. Get rid of them if you don't want them or need them or use them. It's okay. 
That's just my take. So if you're having struggle, uh, any struggles with that, ask yourself what you believe it means if you were to get rid of them or what it means if you're keeping them. Like, oh, I love them so much, I'm keeping their stuff. That's what it is. If I move anything, that means I don't love them. It's not true. Question your beliefs and that might help move you. Move the, move the, uh, the, move the needle for you a little bit. So, okay, so there's some symptoms of grief. There's some steps of grief. Again, they're not all nice and neat and orderly, but if you can do those four things over time, you're moving through your grief pretty well, I would say. And you will survive this. You can survive anything at all. You can. And uh, please be kind to yourself. Grief is a journey. It is a journey, not a destination. And I will talk to you again soon. Thank you so much for listening to the Life Makeovers podcast. Please like, subscribe, and share this podcast with those that you think would also benefit from what we're doing here. And I will talk to you again soon.